All right, we learned in part two that weed populations don't give up, that genetic variation can exist in weed populations, and the way farmers apply selection pressure can cause those weed populations to evolve and become resistant. And the farmer encounters a situation where a problem they didn't used to have, they now have. And so in part three, let's take a look at what farmers can do to be better stewards of herbicide technology. It really isn't any different uh, uh, when it comes to farmers use of herbicide technology as it is with uh, doctors use of antibiotic technology. If you use it in the right way, it can be a useful tool for a longer time period for people to benefit from. And that's what the general public is interested in. Uh, if these herbicides have advantages, if they're safe for the farmer to use, effective in helping them con control weeds and they can produce their crops on a more reliable basis, if the herbicides are safe for the environment and safe for people, then we want to keep those technologies available for farmers to use in the longer run. So let's take a look at this idea of stewardship. There, there are several ways farmers can, can do their planning in order to minimize the chance that they're going to impose selection pressure on weed populations. One is to rotate crops. So you may have one crop, uh, like your soybeans for example, that grow in a way that makes it very difficult for them to successfully compete with a certain weed. Uh, and an alternative crop uh, that the farmer can, can grow successfully may provide a big advantage uh, in, in its ability to compete with the very same weed. So weeds that are successful with one crop may be far less successful the next year with a different crop. So rotating uh, crops from one year to the next, uh, in the Midwest farmers will often rotate soybeans and corn and this practice has been uh, successful over a long time period in helping keep weed populations off balance uh, and keeping the weed populations at a more susceptible state and more uh, controllable or less competitive uh, with the crop that the farmer chooses to grow. However, because of the success of glyphosate herbicide in controlling weeds in one crop, uh, biotechnology companies were motivated to apply this technology to other crops. So the same gene that could be designed to confer uh, resistance uh, to glyphosate by encoding a different EPSPS enzyme uh, could be uh, transformed into uh, tissue culture cells of corn, insert into the corn chromosome, and, and cloned plants could be uh, derived from these tissue culture cells that had this herbicide resistance gene in all their cells, and therefore could be used by plant breeders as parents and could be uh, uh, therefore successfully incorporated into any other uh, corn hybrid that a farmer would want to grow. So while the farmer could rotate their crops, they could continue to use uh, Roundup year after year because every one of the crops that they were 
growing could potentially have this herbicide resistance. So we see uh, Roundup Ready cotton, Roundup Ready canola, Roundup Ready sugar beets, corn. There's a number of crops farmers might use uh, that they would put in their rotations, but they could always use glyphosate herbicide. And we learned the consequence of repeated use of just a single herbicide, the weed population will evolve. So, so crop rotation uh, can be helpful, but crop rotation alone uh, won't prevent uh, the occurrence, the rapid occurrence of herbicide resistance because what you'd be doing is applying the same uh, herbicide year after year. So in addition to using glyphosate, a better practice would be to couple that with a second mode of action. Here is glufosinate, uh, an active ingredient in a herbicide that also blocks amino acid synthesis but it blocks a different amino acid synthesis process so it can kill uh, a weed but it kills it in a different way so if you have a population that uh, you're trying to uh, kill with either glyphosate or glufosinate uh, the weeds can only die once and so so the selection pressure applied by one herbicide uh, doesn't give them resistance to the second herbicide. So what will often happen when that occurs is you'll have some individuals that survive, but they'll survive primarily because they escaped. And, and they won't necessarily have resistance genes that gave them a select advantage for one herbicide over the other. So the population's gene pools change at a much slower rate and the second mode of action prevented the farmer from putting too high a selection pressure for success with this single uh, herbicide, in this case glyphosate. So if they had coupled glyphosate with other modes of action, the occurrence of resistance would happen would have happened at a much slower rate. So the key to being able to successfully use this strategy is you've got to use it at the very beginning. You have to use two modes of action before the population evolves resistance to one of them. Because if they already have resistance to one, you're only really applying one effective uh, way to control the weeds. So the weed population has to be managed using two modes of action at the very beginning of the the uh, weed control process. So a wise farmer will try to take that into account uh, when they go about managing their their weed populations using herbicide. So as we talked about, they'll avoid a sublethal dose by sticking with labeled rates. They'll avoid that single mode of action uh, by using herbicides that, that block different critical functions. Uh, and they'll use these simultaneously. They'll use these at the same time. And then they'll avoid using the same crop year after year after year. So the natural biological differences between the way the crops grow and develop can be effective in, in uh, minimizing or influencing the success of, of different weed populations. So rotating crops using multiple modes of action, avoiding sublethal doses. When farmers apply all of these weed management uh, 
tactics in their weed control program, they'll see resistance evolve at a much slower rate. That means these technologies are available uh, for them to use longer. They benefit and if these are safe technologies, effective technologies, they, the general public, the consumer uh, benefits as well. So the question is uh, really an important question now as we look forward. There, there have been new technologies fairly recently uh, discovered, developed, and commercialized that give farmers a new tool in weed control that they didn't previously have. Well, one would be uh, a gene discovered in a bacteria species that encodes a enzyme that degrades dicamba, a herbicide that farmers have been able to use uh, uh, to control broadleaf weeds, but have never been able to use it uh, applied to a broadleaf crop like soybeans and now with these dicamba resistant soybeans the farmer could apply these uh, just like they did glyphosate the question is how are they going to apply them if they if they uh, use them at the same time as they use glyphosate but the crop is all or the weed population is already resistant to glyphosate they're not using two modes of action they're just using a single mode of action so a farmer has to be thoughtful about what the status is of their weed population, what the herbicides are that they're that uh, they're able to use, and the best use of those combinations of herbicides to minimize the chance that their weed populations will rapidly evolve. Farmers have to be more thoughtful in the future about the use of these herbicide technologies. They can do that when they combine the new technologies with optimal practice. A question that some people have is what's going to provide the best motivation for farmers to use wise technology? Can we as, as the public trust farmers to use these new technologies? Will they have learned from their uh, past mistakes and want to avoid those mistakes going forward? Many people believe that's the best way to operate is to educate the farmer on what the situation is and then trust that they'll use wise practice. Other people believe that we're better off having some level of control over what the farmer does and perhaps the regulatory agencies need to play a role in that and not only in determining that that a new product uh, like like uh, the use of dicamba herbicide on a broadleaf crop is safe for, for the crop, safe for the uh, uh, for the environment, but also think ab about the optimal use of this technology to preserve the technology for use for a longer time period. Should the regulatory agencies play a bigger role in controlling how the farmer uses that technology, that's something that that is uh, considered uh, by some of uh, the consuming public and therefore it's a it's an expectation that some people believe we should be applying to the regulatory agencies to companies and to farmers how that will be resolved will we'll, we'll have the opportunity to see as these new technologies emerge and we and we see how how they end up being used by farmers in their field so uh, this it gives us a good idea then 
why weed control is so important to farmers, why the use of herbicides has been a useful tool for farmers to use in that uh, quest to control weeds. Uh, but weed populations don't give up. They, they will continue to evolve and the rate at which they evolve depends upon how the farmer utilizes that technology. So all of these fit into the story of farmers, consumers, GMOs, and the occurrence of superweed populations.